Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock. Bowersockteam.com. She is your home loan expert. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown. Very easy seamless home loan process uh, took all the burden off of them. It was outstanding. Craig has nothing but good things to say about Aaron and the job her team did. Let her take care of all of it. It's Aaron Bowersock, bowersockteam.com. She is your home loan expert. As Craig said, I just want to mention this real quick. Texas on the men's side uh, and uh, ice cream, Maine. I think you're the one that texted it in about the, uh, the King McClure issue. So if you, uh, ice cream, man, I'll tell you what, if you can text back in and tell me at what point in the game that was, I'll see if I can pull that up uh, later today on ESPN Plus if it's on the replay and uh, and check it out. But he said his partner asked him who he likes for the Big 12, and he said Baylor, Iowa State, and Kansas. Then asked him, what about Texas? And he said, I hate Texas, and then went on to say Tyrese Hunter is not good. So if that was the case, then... Let me give me like a general idea of a time marker on that. I'll go back and check that out, and uh, we will stand corrected on our King McClure take if uh, if that indeed was the case. But with Iowa State's loss to West Virginia, Texas, who hosts West Virginia at eleven o'clock in Moody Center on Saturday, ten thirty with the pregame with Craig and Eddie, we'll get you started here on the Horn and across the Austin Radio Network, leading you up to the eleven o'clock tip. It's Texas and West Virginia on Saturday. West Virginia got a home win over Iowa State last night. That moves Iowa State into what is now a four-way tie for second place in the Big 12 with Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, and Iowa State all owning seven and four records. You've got TCU and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's played really well of late. They're not, they were, they, it was just kind of a struggle to get to 500. Now they're one game above 500. You've got TCU and Oak State both at six and five. And then a little bit of separation there, West Virginia at four and seven, Oklahoma at two and nine, and then Texas Tech. We talked yesterday about what a rough go it's been for the Red Raiders. One and ten in the league. Uh, and we'll keep checking to see when they when and if they're gonna get Pop Isaacs and Farhaz Amek back, but it doesn't look like Mark Adams said the other day in his media availability. Uh, had no update on that. So it's uh it may, remains to be seen if and when they'll come back. But Texas, that eight and three conference record, uh sole possession of first place heading into this West Virginia game. And yeah, we'll talk more about the West Virginia game tomorrow when Craig is back, but this is one of those you know, I I've talked about this throughout conference play. If you're gonna win a conference championship, you have to split your schedule up at this point, once you get to the halfway point, and look at, okay, splits and sweeps. Did we lose a game the first go-around? And in the in the rematch, can we split that series? Texas did that by going on the road to Manhattan and beating Kansas State, avenging that loss at home. So you split with K-State. That's great. Uh, you know, you, you when you host West Virginia, when you host Oklahoma, those are going to be opportunities where you can get the home win and complete the sweep. So this Saturday, if Texas is going to win the Big 12, it's about as must-win as a must-win can be. You'd love to get the sweep over West Virginia, get to 9-3 and three overall in the league, because at the very least, 
you're going to be at least a game up on whoever's in second place. And in some cases, you can be two games up on some of the tougher competition. Maybe a couple of those teams you've got to play down the stretch because you've still got to host Kansas. That's going to end the regular season. You've still got to go to Waco. Iowa State still has to come to Austin. And with Iowa State, it's a situation where you lost the names. Now, to avoid the sweep, you've got to win that home game against Iowa State. You'd like to win in Waco. To get the to to get the sweep, but at the very least you're going to split with Baylor. You'd love to go to Lubbock and get a win over Texas Tech to sweep that series. And then, like I mentioned with Kansas losing at Allen Fieldhouse, that could be a game at the end of the regular season that it, it's all on the line in that game. It's kind of a winner take all situation with the Longhorns and the Jayhawks with a conference championship on the line at the end of the regular season. Kansas won it on the final day of the regular season last year by beating Texas and uh, sewing up a conference championship, so we'll see what happens on the basketball front. But we'll get more into the nitty-gritty with West Virginia coming up tomorrow. And again, the good thing with that, if you're a Texas fan, is you've already seen West Virginia once this year when Texas went up to Morgantown. Uh, even though West Virginia, they are capable of, uh, of beating anybody on a given night, as we saw with uh, you know, with, with Iowa State last night. Uh, but Texas won that game in, in, uh, in Morgantown earlier this year, and and won it. I don't want to say handedly won it, but they were able to salt that game away down the stretch in the second half. All right, let's talk a little Texas football. It is Thursday, so that means the Insider is posted at Horns 24-7. You can get over there, find all kinds of good stuff, including uh, Chip Brown. Chip's been running point on the Texas-Oklahoma Big 12 exit. Chip has the latest on that in the Insider, but also in the Insider, got some notes on winter workouts and how those things are going. And the big story right now is the work ethic of Kelvin Banks. We we saw this season how talented he is. Second-team all-conference. Some people could argue maybe he should have been a first-team all-conference player as a true freshman, a freshman All-American. But that work ethic and the way he's attacked winter conditioning, uh, it's really setting the standard, setting the pace in the O-line room. And you've got three young guys, three mid-year enrollees in that room right now with Jaden Chapman, uh, Peyton Kirkland, Connor Stroh, uh, and and getting those guys all on the same page, uh, Andre Kojo as well, uh, getting those guys on the same page with where you're trying to go as a group. Uh, you know, Jake Majors is a veteran guy in there that's played a lot of football. Hayden Connor's been around here for a minute. But Kelvin Banks, uh, it usually helps when your best players are your hardest workers, and for Kyle Flood, that's what you've got with Kelvin Banks. Uh, according to a source, what makes Kelvin Banks so special and why are people following his lead? Quote, the way he goes about his work, he forces everyone else to match his intensity and to keep up. When you're getting that from a star player and the coaches don't have to be the ones constantly demanding it from everyone in the room, you just can't understand how valuable that is. That's the definition of being player-led. We always talk about it, player-led teams versus coach-led teams. Uh, I do think with these two recruiting classes that Sark has had for a full cycle now, the 22 class and the 23 class, this is where you're really going to determine whether this team going forward is going to be a player-led team or a coach-led team. And if Sark recruited the right kind of guys, the guys that are talented enough to help Texas win football games but can also set the tone in the offseason and set the tone by what they do every day, that's when you start getting somewhere and being a player-led team. It's the, the way Sark is putting together this roster really reminds me, and granted, you don't have the, the, the win totals yet that Mac Brown got early on, but you look at the kind of guys Mac Brown was bringing in early on, not just that, not just knew how to, not just that were really talented, a Chris Sims, a Corey Redding, a Bo Scaife, uh, a, a Rod Babers, a Roy Williams, a Sloan Thomas, a B.J. Johnson. 
a Derek Dockery, not only did you bring in really talented guys, but you brought in guys that understood what it was like to work, understood what it was like to come to work every day and be a professional. And I know there's a long way to go with these guys for some of these guys in the 22 class that weren't there for the spring. This is going to be like their first kind of full tilt off season. It feels like there's a lot of that with these two classes. <laughs> and I, know I just saw it on the spec. I just happened to glance at the specs text line. I said, Jeff, can you please tell Arch to get off of those scooters? My anxiety can't deal with it. Yeah, I think, uh, I, Jack, I don't know how much this was out there during the season, but before the, the one of the things I was most thankful for with the NIL era coming along is the times that I would see Bijan come in, especially like his sophomore year, come in for a media availability and like park a scooter near the elevator. And I asked him one time, I said, and I can share this now because Bijan's off to the NFL training. I was asked him one time, I said, hey, uh, How's the boss man feel about you being on a scooter getting around campus? He goes, honestly, I don't know if he knows. I'm like, dude, I didn't have to tell him to be careful. Like, it's just that would create so much anxiety for Longhorn fans if they saw Bijan rolling around campus on a scooter. So, yeah. Uh, hey, you know, Arch is trying to manage his time, so maybe the scooter helps with time management. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of people would just rather see him off the scooter. But he's a part. Arch is a part of that 23 class and that 22 class with Kelvin Banks. I just feel like there's something special about both of those groups. We'll ultimately see how it plays out, but man, it's about recruiting not again, not just talented guys that can help you win games, but guys that can be pros every day when they come to work. Guys that understand what it's like to work, that want to work, that want to get better. We talk about the player development piece a lot from the coaches in terms of, hey, do you have the right assistant coaches? Do you have the right strength program to develop guys, to get them better? If you got that stuff, that's great. You need that stuff. But there, then there's that old saying of, man, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Man, if, guy, if, if guys just don't have that edge about them where they want to get better, you can have the best facilities and the best training staff and the best training table and the best strength coaches and assistant coaches. But, man, if guys just don't want to put in work on their own, they're going to plateau at some point. you got to do it on your own. And Kelvin Banks is definitely doing that right now. With his work in the offseason. And I think people need to remember, too, uh, he dealt with a couple injuries. You know, that ankle injury kind of lingered for a while. Uh, he had a hand injury late in the year. So uh, he played through some pain. So Kelvin Banks, tough, dependable, talented, hardworking. Uh, I think it's safe to say what Mike Gundy said leading up to the Texas-Oklahoma State game this year is accurate. Because oh, Kelvin Banks was committed to Oklahoma State at one point. Uh Kelvin Banks is only going to be at Texas for three seasons. Once he, he's done with that junior year, uh, it looks like he's on a trajectory to leave and, and be a pretty high draft pick in the NFL. Maybe maybe he's the guy that at some point will will snap this string of no offensive linemen taken in the first round. With Mike Williams back in 2002, over 20 years ago, was the, uh, was the last first-round offensive lineman that Texas had. Justin Blaylock got close, and Connor Williams was on the periphery, but maybe it's Kelvin Banks. Uh, that breaks it. Cedric Baxter's continuing to get a really good opportunity to get reps with the offense. Uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks is recovering from hernia surgery. Jaden Blues had kind of a shoulder deal. So Cedric Baxter, uh, just in terms of you know when they when he's kind of looking at football stuff and at least getting you know when you're working out in groups, uh, he's getting a really big opportunity to show the coaches kind of what he's about at least from a from a workout standpoint, a work ethic standpoint. Uh, and that work work ethic apparently has been really good. He's getting uh, substantial reps with the ones in the limited workouts the team has uh, right now. So a really good opportunity. And again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. 
Running back is one of the few positions on the field where you can count on a young guy to play early. Uh, if they're good enough, you usually figure it out pretty early. Think about all the great backs Texas has had over the years. There haven't been that many of them that just kind of slug through their first two or three years and then, boom, they burst onto the scene. Even if you see flashes, like think about Deontay Foreman. Like Maybe the production wasn't there, but you at least saw the flashes early on that he was going to be really good. Even a guy like Malcolm Brown, who still cashing checks in the NFL, you saw from Malcolm Brown early on that he was going to be really good. Jonathan Gray pre-injury, you felt like he had an NFL trajectory, and then the Achilles injury for him really kind of threw things off. But Jonathan Gray was really good. From the jump, Jamal Charles was really good from the jump. Like I said, every now and then you'll get a guy like Chris Obanaya uh, that you know makes a position change and kind of works his way through a crowded backfield, and by the time he's a senior, ends up being a really valuable piece of what you do. But those guys are more so the exception than the rule. Typically, you 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 find out what you've got early, and those guys are really good. So maybe that's just going to be the case with Cedric Baxter. Uh, We talked earlier this week about some of the impressions, the first impressions that Chris Jackson has made as the receivers coach. Uh, He's getting to work with his guys now, and one guy that's apparently made a really big impression early on is A.D. Mitchell, uh, just in terms uh, of his length when the, the quarterbacks and receivers have gotten together. His length has really been impressive, and we've talked early, too, uh, just about in the vertical passing game, his ability to stretch the defense, make those contested catches 20-plus yards down the field. We've gone through the numbers. Quinn Ewers was one of the worst deep ball-throwing quarterbacks in the Big 12 last year, one of the worst in the country when you look at completion percentage. Uh, A.D. Mitchell can help hike that completion percentage also with getting Isaiah Nayer back, so just getting more weapons in that receiver room. And something we didn't have a chance to talk about yesterday, Savion Red getting a look at running back. We mentioned with Jaden Blue kind of dealing with the shoulder thing and – Jonathan Brooks coming back from the hernia surgery. There's been a chance for, for Cedric Baxter to get some reps. And Savion Red's getting a look there. I want to get more into that later because not only does he have the opportunity to do it, um, not only does he have the opportunity to do it, but I think when you look at kind of forming the identity of the offense, I think even if you weren't, even if you didn't have a need there right now, right, to just get an extra body in the running back room for workouts, it makes a lot of sense in terms of forming the identity of the offense, and we'll get into that uh, coming up in the in the second hour. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the Savion Red move and the notebook and the bigger picture in terms of what it means. Uh, some of the specs text line mentions Fozzie Whitaker as one of those guys. I'll disagree with that because we saw flashes from Fozzie, and Fozzie's big deal was health. Fozzie just needed to get healthy, and his senior year until that just god awful turf at Missouri claimed his knee. Uh, Fozzie showed when healthy could be a really big part of the offense, was a really big part of that offense in 2011, running that wildcat package. And, you know, Fozzie carved out a nice career for himself in the league, even coming off of that knee injury, that leg injury, played in the Super Bowl uh, for the Carolina Panthers when they played the Broncos in Super Bowl 50. So, like I said, those guys, the, the guys that, you know, you don't really hear from, and then, boom, they're really good as seniors at running back. You might hear from those guys. That might be the case sometimes, but more often than not, those guys are really good from the jump and produce, and then the production level just keeps ticking up and up and up. All right, take a break. Come back. Inconceivable. We'll close out hour number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.